Well, first of all, it's an honor to teach again and hear a first Wednesday, especially being trusted with a difficult topic. And so I just, I thank Pastor Greg and Tamara again and again. Can, can you show that your appreciation to them one more time? Well, thank you all. Thank you. And so like Pastor was saying, it's a sensitive topic tonight. And this is really a, a teaching moment. And so I ask that you, you take notes and extend grace as I teach. I might slip up my words. I'm going to do my best to offend everyone. No, I'm just kidding. I will do my best not to offend. But the ideas that we're about to discuss are key to understanding what's going on in this cultural moment between entertainment and media and news, everything together. And consider this a prerequisite to what's going to be coming, not this weekend, but next, June 12th and 13th, with Dr. Christopher Yuan. He is a, a mighty man of God, has an incredible testimony, and he will be teaching that weekend. And as you may know, this is Pride Month. And while we're not dealing with that topic tonight, Dr. Christopher Yuan is well-equipped to deal with it, and he's going to equip us. And there's some special Q&A sessions and biblical study sessions that Saturday morning where he's going to be diving into the hermeneutics. That's the fancy word for Bible study. You know what I mean? And he's going to be going into that on that Saturday. So I encourage you to check it out. You can go to wearecrossing.com and there's a banner right at the top and you can find it there. And again, as you take notes tonight, you can also find many of my slides and notes at wearecrossing.com slash notes. So if you would, allow me just to pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I just pray you speak through me, and I pray that you teach your people. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you like putting a title at the top of your notes and for each message, the title for tonight is Don't Get in the Box. Don't get in the box. Don't get in the box. Do you know that when you buy a car, all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere? You know what I'm talking about? So I'm going to show you a picture of my car. It's very nice. I drive a fancy Kia Soul. <laughs> now, I lovingly call it the hamster mobile because I don't know if you remember the commercials that came with it. But, you know, they're the dancing hip-hop hamsters. <laughs> I pray every morning that God would miraculously make it a Tesla, but I'm still waiting for that miracle. But, you know, once I started driving it, I saw it everywhere. You just see it everywhere on the road. It seems like everyone has that kind of car. And what I plan to teach tonight, these ideas, once you hear these ideas and understand them, I believe you will start to see them everywhere in our culture. It's the waters we're swimming in, so to speak. And we need to understand them so that we can share the gospel effectively. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is giving us a picture of the body of Christ. And I wanted to start with this scripture because it is the ideal image of what the body of Christ, human beings on this earth, are supposed to be. This is the picture of the church and of the body. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. Can you say one spirit? One spirit. And into one body. Say one body. one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. Jumping down to verse 21, it says this. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. And our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division. Can you say no division? No division. In the body but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Say, I am, I am the, body the body of Christ. And individual members of it. And so we have one spirit, one body, many members. So this is the picture of the body of Christ. 
God's picture for the body. We are individuals. We have individual traits and giftings and characteristics, but we are one body. Today, there is an ideology growing in popularity. An ideology is a set of ideas or beliefs, and this one actually functions as a worldview. I thank God that our pastors in this church is rejecting it, but we need to understand it because it is everywhere, just like my Kia Soul, it's everywhere. The ideology I'm speaking of is called critical race theory. You might have heard of it as critical theory or cultural Marxism or identity politics, but it is called critical race theory. You may have even heard our governor, Ron DeSantis, speak of it directly as he passed a law that critical race theory would not be taught in our public schools, which is a good thing, amen. But you see, the ideas about power and control date all the way back to Karl Marx. He was a pretty bad dude, in case you didn't know. This is a picture of him. He was a German philosopher. He wrote the Communist Manifesto. I mean, you know he's up to no good. I mean, just look at that guy. <laughs> but his ideas went through the Frankfurt School in the 1930s to develop critical theory. And over the last 90 or so years, critical theory is now everywhere. It is being taught in our schools. It is being shared on social media. Books are being written about it. These books are just some of the books you would see on critical race theory, either by the name, or white fragility, or race, class, and gender, or intersectionality. White fragility was a bestseller on Amazon throughout the year 2020. And so what is it about, or where do we see it? Let me show you just a few examples in culture of where you might see critical race theory. Here's a tweet thread. This is from Cher in 2018. She said, Biden Beto, this was during the presidential, you know, who's gonna be running. And so she said, Biden Beto, but Rosie O'Donnell, a progressive celebrity, says, say no to Joe, Joe Biden, why? No more old white men. You see, she didn't address his policies or his economics, foreign policy or defense. She just said, no more old white men. Where does that come from? Or another example, actress Brie Larson, who plays Captain Marvel, she said during an award ceremony a couple years ago, she says, I don't want to hear what a white man has to say about A Wrinkle in Time, the movie. Or a more blatant take from journalist Sarah Zhang, hashtag cancel white people. Well, that stinks. So you will see these ideas everywhere. And so I want to just give you a high-level view of what is the underlying ideology behind these things. Number one, the thing that critical race theory holds as the base level as true is this, that every person is either oppressed or an oppressor. This is very key to understanding. Critical race theory says that every person is either oppressed or oppressor. There's nothing in the middle. That's it. You are either one or the other. Now, let's be clear. The Bible and Jesus himself addresses oppression clearly. Let's read a few examples. Because oppression itself is evil. Can we agree? Yes. Oppression is bad and sinful. The Bible says it. Zechariah 7.10 says, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. Proverbs 14.31 says, the one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker, but one who is kind to the needy honors him. Psalm 103.6, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Even Jesus, in Luke 4, 17, as he enters the temple and takes the scroll to read from the prophet Isaiah, he found the place where it was written. This is Luke 4, 17. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed. And later he says, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And so the Bible clearly speaks about oppression. It is bad, it is a sin, and we need to avoid it. 
Here is where we get tripped up. Yes, oppression still exists today in many places. Racism still exists in many places. But the definition and the understanding of the word oppressed has changed through critical theory. And I'm going to show you examples of it right now. This next quote is from the book, Is Everyone Really Equal? by Oslem Sensoy and Robin DiAngelo, two people at the forefront of critical race theory. So this is a book as a proponent of critical race theory, and here's what it says. Oppression involves institutional control, ideological domination, and the imposition of the dominant group's culture on the minoritized group. Now watch this carefully. No individual member of the dominant group has to do anything specific to oppress a member of the minoritized group. I'm hearing laughs, that's good, because this should seem ridiculous to you. I'm gonna read that again. No individual member of the dominant group has to do anything specific. Oppression has moved from an action, a situation, a state of being, to a designation of people group regardless of what is actually happening in the world. Critical theory defines oppression as what group has the most influence and are they trying to impose their ideas on everyone else. I hope you would begin to see the problem of this ideology as we Christians believe we are to share the gospel. Here's conflict number one. Christianity is seen as oppressive because it claims exclusivity. I want you to think about this for a moment. If it is oppressive to say this is true and what you believe is wrong, if that is oppressive, now our legs have been cut out from underneath us in sharing the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? And so Christianity has been actually put in the box as oppressor. And I will show you a specific example in a moment. But I want to remind you of the verse, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself made it exclusive. But the idea of moving oppression to just who is influencing or who has the most power, this comes from Karl Marx. Marx. And so I want to look at this diagram. This is from the same book I just quoted from, Is Everyone Really Equal? And this diagram is telling the reader, telling us what is the dominant group, what is the kind of oppression they exercise, and what is the target group. Now we have some you might expect. White is the dominant group, racism is the oppression, people of color is the targeted group. You have Cis men, if you don't know what that means, cisgender means you identify with the gender that you are biologically. So cis men, sexism, that's the minoritized group. But I want you to see this row. The dominant group, Christians. Religious oppression, and who is the oppressed? Everyone else. Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, Hindus, and any other non-Christian groups. Do you see what's happening here? Christianity is literally put in the box of oppressive. Because Christianity is the dominant religion in the world and even here in America, and because it claims exclusivity, meaning Jesus is the only way. Because we claim that, all of a sudden, we are oppressing anyone who disagrees. And again, keep in mind, this has nothing to do with individual actions or conduct. It doesn't matter how you treat someone else, what actions you take, that doesn't matter. The very fact that you say you are a Christian and Jesus is the only way means you are an oppressor. I think this is interesting too. Within critical theory, there's another term called internalized oppression. This means if you are in one of those groups that has been marked as oppressed, but you were to say, I'm not oppressed, I believe in Jesus. They would say you have been brainwashed and you have internalized your oppression. They basically are saying that you can't think for yourself. Culture is trying to say that this ideology can achieve freedom if we liberate all these people groups. But you see, it's just putting you in a box of their design. They're just offering you every box and saying, just choose one of these and you'll be free. Don't get in the box. 
So number one, critical race theory separates everyone into oppressed and oppressor categories. Now here's where it gets interesting. Number two, this is called intersectionality. It was one of the book titles that I showed earlier. This idea within critical race theory means you can belong to multiple groups. Some might be oppressor, some might be oppressed. For example, if you have a white man and a man of color standing side by side, it's clear which is which. The white man is the oppressor, the man of color is the oppressed. But if you take that same man of color who is straight and put him next to a man of color who is gay, all of a sudden the dynamic shifts. And you would say, well, the man of color who is gay is even more oppressed. And then on and on it goes through transgender and everything else. So intersectionality is this way of kind of stacking up the oppressed and oppressor designations, which is why the one you hear all the time is old white man, because it hits the three big oppressor categories. Now, if you think I'm crazy and you're saying, I don't see this anywhere, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm going to show a clip from a TV show. It's from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, some of you may know it. I give you permission to laugh, I know it's heavy, so you know, if you want to laugh, it's okay, okay? Not a single laugh. That's okay, I feel you. <laughs> but I want you to listen to this interaction between these two people. It's between two captains, uh, two police captains, both trying to be the commissioner, and they are arguing which one is more deserving of the position. And I want you to hear how they speak of who is more deserving. Check this out. I started arguing like this, but I they're making their recommendation to the mayor at the end of next week, and it seems that John Kelly is going to lead out both of us. Big shocker, the straight white man wins again. How was my complaint about Owen winning Top Chef Jr., and you guys all acted like I was crazy? Half of the committee supports John Kelly, and the other half is divided between the two of us. We're splitting the vote. So for either of us to have a chance, one of us needs to step aside. Exactly. You should drop it. Is what you said to yourself in the mirror this morning instead of checking your eye for goop. And I agree, you should drop out. Is what you said to yourself in the mirror this morning while polishing your head. Don't you think it's time New York had its first female commissioner? What about its first openly gay commissioner? Yes, that would be vital and important if you weren't one million years old. You do know that exaggeration is the huckster's crutch. Also, I come off quite youthful. You just said huckster's crutch. Step aside, grandpa. So did you hear it? We need a woman commissioner. Ah, but an openly black gay commissioner is more oppressed. Well, that would be true if you weren't old. And you see, there's this tit for tat of who is more oppressed. How many boxes do you tick? And here's where it really comes off the rails. When it comes to intersectionality, this is another quote from the book, is everyone really equal? It says this. Intersectionality asserts that knowledge is dependent upon a complex web of cultural values, beliefs, experiences, and social positions. Don't miss what this is implying. Knowledge is dependent on social positions. Cultural or critical race theory, what it's saying is that knowledge, truth, is dependent on how oppressed you are. Meaning, the more oppressed, the more boxes you can tick in the oppressed category, the better access to truth you have. This is a very dangerous precedent because it removes truth from being objective and now places it in just who is speaking it is what makes it true. And this is the big conflict number two. Truth is no longer objective, but dependent upon who is speaking it. This is a serious issue. Again, it immediately cuts out the legs of any argument based on facts and evidence. If the person presenting facts and evidence is an old, white, straight man, then its reliability is immediately questioned, not because of the evidence or the facts, but because who is speaking it. This is why we see no more old white men, not because of their qualifications or their beliefs or their policies, strictly by their gender and their race. One more quote from the book. An approach based on critical theory 
calls into question the idea that objectivity is desirable or even possible. Watch what this is saying. It's saying we don't even desire objective truth. The term used to describe this way of thinking about knowledge is that knowledge is socially constructed. Go to the next slide. When we refer to knowledge as socially constructed, we mean that knowledge is reflective of the values and interests of those who produce it. Whoever is speaking it is what makes it true. Again, dangerous, dangerous idea. As Christians, and even many secular philosophers would agree, truth is something that stands alone. Truth is something that stands apart from who is speaking it, apart from where it's heard, apart from the medium by which it's shared. Water is two hydrogen and one oxygen molecule, regardless of your race or gender or lived experience. It is just true. You see, the moment we make truth subjective, meaning that it can be different for different people depending on how they think or feel, we've lost any connection to reality. If you would bear with me, stick me for another quote. This is from Neil Shenvey. Now, Neil Shenvey is an incredible Christian apologist. He is on the forefront of arguing against critical race theory. And he says this. Go to the first slide. Critical theory encourages an alternate approach to truth claims that is popular but logically invalid because of the idea that truth claims are really veiled bids for power. I want you to stop and think about that just for a moment. What critical race theory says is if you say Jesus is the only way, are you just motivated because you want to keep power within Christianity? What's your motivation for saying that? That's how critical race theory twists it. When someone makes a truth claim, the first question asked is not is this claim true? Go to the next one. But what incentives does this person have to make this claim? What social or political agenda motivates this statement? How does this statement function to preserve his power or privilege? Think about it one more time. If Christianity is seen as an oppressor group and truth can only be spoken by oppressed groups, then culture is weaving a narrative where any Christian who says Jesus is the only way can be labeled as oppressive. I want to say that one more time because this needs to sink in. If Christianity is seen as an oppressor group and truth can only be spoken by the oppressed groups, then culture is weaving a narrative where any Christian who says Jesus is the only way can be labeled as oppressive. Another quote from a critical race theory book. This is from Race, Class, and Gender, an anthology from Anderson and Collins. They say the idea that objectivity is best reached only through rational thought is a specifically Western and masculine way of thinking, one that we will challenge throughout this book. Women, I hope you would be offended by that because they are saying rational thinking is a man's way, not a woman's. <laughs> I didn't say it. The book said it. Don't get mad at me. It's ironic that in 2021, it is the Christian saying we need rational, logical thinking. You see, the age of enlightenment in the 1800s, it was rational thinking that rejected religion. But now it has come full circle, where popular culture and the secular culture is rejecting logical thought. And we as Christians are saying we need truth, we need logic, we need facts and evidence. And finally, number three, critical theory begins to replace our theology. Critical theory begins to replace our theology. You see, critical theory hides behind the veil of social justice and racial reconciliation. Both of those things can be good. Hear me. Social justice and racial reconciliation can be good, but critical theory does not stop at those things. It goes even further. Take these tweets from Union Theological Seminary. This is a Christian theological seminary. In 2018, they said this. They released their new set of beliefs and tenets. Number one, scripture. While divinely inspired, we deny the Bible is inerrant or infallible. It was written by men over centuries and thus reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. We affirm that biblical scholarship, and watch this, and critical theory helps us discern which messages are God's. 
This is a theological seminary in New York saying we deny the Bible is inerrant and we need critical theory to help us discern what it says. This next tweet, this is on their belief of salvation now. We deny that salvation is only found through Christianity, that God's salvific grace is exclusive to any single faith or religion. Moreover, in God's eyes, there is no difference in spiritual value or worth between those who are in Christ and those who aren't. We deny that salvation is only found through Christianity. Well, what would lead them to that? Because they do not want to be seen as oppressive to other religions. And so if you begin to accept critical theory, you get everything that comes with it. And one of it is you can't oppress other religions. And so if you really fall into that hole and say, we're adopting this 100%, this is where it leads. It leads to denying Christianity as the only way. And this is big conflict number three. Critical theory functions as a worldview contrary to Christianity. There are denominations in America today, in the Christian church, that are literally writing critical theory into their belief statements. They are writing critical race theory into how they are going to interpret the Bible, how they're going to interpret their, their laws and their doctrines. This is happening here in America. And it is directly opposed to Christianity. We have core beliefs as Christians when it comes to creation, the fall, sin. Colossians 1.16 says this, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the invisible and the visible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We have our story of creation, God. Romans 3.23, the problem with humanity, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem at the root is sin. Yes, other issues surround it, including racism and oppression, prejudice, but we believe the root is sin, for all have sinned. Romans 5, 8, but God proved his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is the problem, Christ is the answer. And finally, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if we put them side by side, Christianity and critical theory, we know the problem is sin. Truth is objective. The solution is Jesus. But as you begin to buy into critical theory, you eventually lead to the problem is only oppression. The truth is only by experience. It's subjective. And the solution is social justice, not Jesus. And we get off. Now, to be clear, does critical theory get anything right? Number one, yes, we agree that oppression is evil. Jesus spoke about it. The Bible addresses it all over. Any kind of oppression should be stopped. This hit home as I have a, a life group here, and there are several members who are people of color. And I grew up in upstate New York. I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm white, so you know. You know. And I never really heard stories of real prejudice and racism. And I asked the group, can you share? Have you experienced racism in your lifetime? And this is young throughout all the ages, from 20s on up. And they told me specific examples of times that they were spat on here in America, in Tampa, Florida, after 2000. And it broke my heart because honestly, it was the first time I heard from someone face to face share those terrible stories. And so yes, we agree oppression and racism is evil and needs to end. You can amen to that, it's okay. Number two, groups of people and laws can promote sin. Yes, we agree that if a group of people become in power, they can create laws that are sinful and hurtful and oppressive, whether it's Nazi Germany or apartheid in Africa. We affirm that those are terrible things. And number three, unchecked power and influence can be bad. Yes, unchecked power can be bad. See, every dictator throughout history, we get it. But at the core of critical theory, it is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, critical theory places you in a box. You're either oppressor or oppressed. You can't think any different, 
It's not anything you do, you are just that. But God did not create you for a box. God did not create you for a box. Psalms 139, 13 through 14. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And Colossians 3:10. And have put on a new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. So, this is an introduction of these ideas. <laughs> that was an introduction. But these are important ideas to be knowledgeable of. Because like my Kia Soul, you will begin to see these everywhere. In culture, in the news, celebrities, social media, movies, TV show, everywhere. And so what do you do with this information? What should you do with what you heard tonight? Number one, guard your heart and mind. Guard your heart and mind from being swayed by these ideas. They are very persuasive. Again, they hide behind a veil of good things, but at the core, it is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, equip yourself even more. I'll give you two places to go. If you want to read more about this and have a better understanding, two resources. One I quoted from earlier, Neil Shenvey. He has a PhD in theoretical chemistry. I don't even know what that is, but he's a smart guy. His website, Shinvi Apologetics, he has many, many articles about this. He, he writes reviews of the books that I mentioned earlier. Great website. And Samuel Say, slowtowrite.com. They both speak on and write about critical theory extensively. And then, as you hear your friends and family promote these ideas, remember this. Remember to love first. Love first. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this. If I speak human or angelic languages but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You're just making noise. We have to remember that people are swimming in these ideas constantly. And we can't come at them with facts and figures right away. We need to love. I pray that this kind of teaching will strengthen your convictions but soften your approach. Understand that people are wrestling with this, maybe not even wrestling, they just accept these ideas. And they don't know that what they're accepting is contrary to even their religion. Christians accept, are accepting this everywhere. So I would encourage you, love first. Listen first. And listen well. Ask people, what have they experienced? It's okay to hear them out. And then I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment to give you the right words to say in any conversation. And finally, tell people that they're made in the image of God. Tell people that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They were not meant for a box. They're not meant to check the many boxes that culture has for them. They won't be happy and fulfilled in any of those boxes. They are unique. They are made to be an individual and unique member in the body of Christ. And we are all to reflect Jesus Christ here on earth. We are made in his image, the Imago Dei. Point everyone to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can heal this world. And so as the worship team comes out, we'll worship again in a moment, but let's just pray all together. Maybe there's someone in your circle. <laughs> oh. There's someone in your circle, your friends or coworkers, that you know they're accepting these ideas. Or maybe that they're an ardent agnostic or atheist and you're not sure how to connect with them, how to work with them, how to open a conversation, a dialogue. Let's pray for them. Father, we need wisdom. We need discernment. We need the words to say. Help us. Give us soft hearts, but hard convictions. Let us not waver in what you have taught us to be true and right and noble and praiseworthy and righteous. Let us not compromise those things, but help us to love first. Help us to be your hands and feet 
on this earth to the people around us. And even now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here tonight and you will say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know who he is, but I I want to follow him. I feel a stirring in my heart. No one's going to be looking around. We're just going to pray a brief prayer. Everyone's going to repeat it together so you're not alone. But if this is you giving your life to Christ, even tonight, this is for you. And so everyone repeat together. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. Teach me to be like you. In Jesus' name. Now, no one's looking around. Every head bowed and every eye is closed. If you're praying that and you're saying, I want to give my life, I want to rededicate my life to him tonight, we're just going to ask you to slip up your hand on the count of three. No one's going to be looking around. We just want to connect with you. If that was you, raise your hand on three. One, two, three. Was that you? Amen. No one's looking around. No one's looking around. If that was you. Anyone else? Wow. Church, look up here, and would you celebrate? Because on this first Wednesday, people gave their life to Christ. Amen. Come on, can we give Pastor Stephen a huge hand? So listen. um, Come on, let's give it up. Give it up. Give it up. So I want I want us to think you can be seated for just a second, okay? I want us to think about this for a moment. Ephesians 4:15 says to speak, everybody say speak, speak. The, truth the truth in love. Okay. So I gave this example a few weeks ago about smoking cigarettes. And so if you smoke, we love you. If if you smoke, we love you. If you smoke, come on, you guys, lighten up a little bit. <laughs> if you smoke, we love you. Is there anything that's in contradiction? Okay, there's a feeling that happens in culture, and whoever holds the mic, actually Hitler said this, if you say something loud enough and long enough, let me, let me say it again, loud enough, loud enough, loud enough, loud enough, long enough, long enough, long enough, long enough, the masses will believe it. We just, we're, we're sheep. That's what the Bible says about us. And the Bible, and, and, and so we know that we're prone to want the easy way instead of thinking about really what truth is. So there's an emotion. How many of you back in the 70s, in the 70s, let me not out you, in the 70s you smoked? It was super cool to smoke in the 70s, wasn't it? Like, it was a, it, you were railing against the institution by smoking. Do you remember? Some of you, come on, help me out. Don't you leave me on the stage. Okay, but our opinion, everybody say opinion, about smoking has changed. So public opinion doesn't dictate truth. Public opinion, our opinion about something doesn't dictate truth. For Christians, a Christian, what dictates the truth? Somebody say the Bible. Somebody. Somebody say the word of God. Somebody say the word of God. I mean, listen, 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 listen. This is is really seeping into our culture. We're we're to speak the truth in love. So if we said today, because popular opinion is smoking is bad, smoking is bad. So when I say smoking is bad, we don't have a visceral reaction to it. We all go, yeah, smoking's bad. But in the 70s, if I'd have stood up here and said, you guys, smoking is bad, some of you would have went, I'm leaving the church. (laughs) But here's the reason why. Because there was a cultural ideology about smoking. Are you following? Are you following, really? To speak the truth in love. 
When love, when, when love is the reason why we're speaking the truth, uh, it contextualizes all that the truth wants to unpack for us. And so, I believe that God's design is for men to be men. Okay, where do you get that? Are you angry if somebody is confused? Not at all. Say not at all. Okay. Can we love? Can we never, 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 this is a lot of negatives, never, never, never not speak the truth? We have to speak the truth, don't we? In other words, I love my friend, Jonathan, sitting on the front row, and if he was smoking, because I'm responsible, I would say to him, hey, Jonathan, have you ever considered that smoking isn't the right way to go? Help me. Now, that doesn't make me racist. That doesn't make me a bigot. It doesn't mean I'm an oppressor. It means that I was saved by the blood of Jesus, that I respect my Bible, and I think there's a better way. So what critical race theory does is it removes the microphone from any voice other than the one that's speaking for it. Let me say that again. Critical race theory removes every voice other than the voice that's speaking for it. Now that cannot exist in the United States of America in the kind of culture we live in and that's not defined by America. The scriptures define for all times, for all cultures, for every person and every race and every creed and every tongue for all of time. The scripture cannot, you can't, you can't undo the scripture. In other words, we can't be more cultural than we are Christian. Somebody help me, please, you guys. Okay, let me unpack, let me unpack another thing really quickly. Years ago, I, I spoke on homosexuality and, and you know, we, I want you to know that if somebody's struggling with the sin of homosexuality and somebody is struggling with the sin, and I'm calling it sin, of heterosexuality outside of marriage, you see, in the church we go, oh man, they're just sleeping with people. Y'all help me out. Look, look here, y'all. Everybody's like, oh, you just aren't stepping on my toes and... Sex outside of marriage isn't the best way. Help me out. Come on now, you guys, help me out. And so I'm not racist or bigoted, and, and we don't, we're not mad at you because we say that that's not the best way. The Bible says the sex between one man and one woman inside of marriage is the blessing. Right? Is that okay? That's speaking the, everybody say the truth, in love. So if we talk about homosexuality, it's not that we're, it's not that we're separating sexuality and we say, yours is a greater sin than yours is. Sin is sin. And sin is the problem. But what culture is saying is not only can you not say that sin is a problem, if you say it's a problem, you're an oppressor. Help somebody help a brother out. If you speak, if you say what the Bible says, it's not because we're trying to harm, it's because Jesus said there's a better way. And so, so, so yeah, come on, clap it up. Let's do it. Okay, listen. Let me, let me finish. I spoke at homosexuality years ago, and it's a difficult, it's difficult, you know why? Because we're confused. We're really confused. And so now, th- what's happening is, how many of you just did not like bullies in school? How many of you are against bullying? All of you. Okay, you're like, clarify the question, Pastor. I don't know, you're setting me up. <laughs> so here's what happened. At least when I grew up, Anybody, there, there, there are people who are oppressed and anybody who has anything, especially in seventh grade, 
if there's any defect in you whatsoever, somebody help me out. I mean, if you wore one shoe that was bigger than the other, you're going down. It doesn't matter what it is, we always want to find those things. And I, I, here's what my dad told me, and I'm going to speak this to men. My dad said, don't let people, don't let people bully other people. Don't do it. You, you need to step in because the reason why God has given you strength is to speak. And the reason why you're there is maybe to help somebody else. Okay, so here's what's happened in our culture. Those who were bullied for being maybe not as uh, masculine, maybe not as smart, maybe not as pretty, maybe not as white or black or yellow or purple. Are you with me? Any case of any kind. What's happened is I'm okay with saying, I, I want you to find strength and I want you to find it in Jesus, not in your own identity, in Jesus. But now the culture's flipped around and the bullied have become the bullies. And look, that's not right. It's not right to say to us, I'm gonna take your microphone, you're gonna go to jail. Because we're gonna speak the truth in love. We have to. No culture, no ideology, no time, no history can define. There was actually a time in India when the culture thought it was right to sacrifice their children to Molech, a god. And Christians during that time said, I won't stand for it. I can't. It's not right to sacrifice your children. How many of you believe it's not right to sacrifice your children to gods? Okay, now watch this real quick. And I promise I'm going to land. I promise. Maybe. I want to, I want to bring something pretty. Listen, we're sacrificing our children. You guys, listen. If your ideology could save you, you don't need a savior. Actually, what this does is it paints Jesus into the corner as an oppressor. He's the liberator. He is the liberator. He is. We, we, we aren't, we're not trying to, we're not, we're not trying to impose our view. I don't walk into the grocery store and believe Jesus now. But this, these ideologies are demanding, screaming, shouting, every image, every, every television show, all of Hollywood, all of the woke CEOs. And when I say woke, I, well, I'll explain another time. They're all aligning, and, and what I want to say to you is they're anti, it's an anti-Christian worldview. It's literally anti-Christian, because if you are a Christian that stands for truth, you are automatically disqualified. You're an oppressor. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. You're instantly an oppressor. Listen, church, that's not right. It's not right. So Jesus, come on, pray with me. Just don't, don't bow your heads. Don't close your eyes. Jesus, you don't have to repeat. I, sorry. You guys are trained really well. You guys are amazing. I want to pray. We say, Jesus, in you we live and move and we have our being. And that's the only way that human beings survive. That's the only way that human beings are set free. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your nationality, doesn't matter your country, doesn't matter your history, doesn't matter what has happened to you, everyone has, everyone has equal ground at the foot of the cross. Every human being for all of time and all of history in every category, the blood makes it right. The blood, it's only the blood. And now would you stand with me? I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna pray that you offer your lives to Jesus, and I want to pray you give your offering as we leave, okay? Would you, would you find a posture somewhere that's comfortable for you and just, you know, just, just receive. Father, I pray.
for the courage of a Christian heart. Fill us with your courage. Fill us with your truth. Fill us with your courage. Fill us with your truth. God, help us to overflow in the abundance of love and then to make sense with our words. To know why we know what we know. And to be convicted and convinced that you, come on, say this with me. I I, I brought you full circle. Jesus, Jesus. you're the answer. answer. (laughs) There is no other answer. You're the answer. You are the beginning. And you are the end. You are the alpha and you are the omega. There is none like you. And we are not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We will not be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power and the salvation first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. God, there's no one like you. And to all who call upon your name, you gave the right to be sons and daughters of God. Help us to be convinced of who you are. In Jesus' name. Listen, Father, we give you our lives right now. And if, if stay in that posture, we give you our lives. We give you our lives. Come on, I, I pray, I pray over you for courage, strength, dignity respect for others, most of all, a respect for Jesus, who is the Lord. And we give our offering tonight and online, we give our offering, we believe the church is the hope of the world. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. So we offer our lives, we offer our offering, and we worship you as Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, we love you. Be bold, be courageous, love, speak the truth and love. Thank Pastor Stephen again, incredible. We're gonna worship. Okay, listen, if, if, if you have kids, love our workers. Go grab them. We're going to worship for just a moment, okay? We're going to worship for just a moment. But go get your kids. If you have kids, go get your kiddos. And uh, we'll see you again this weekend. If you want to worship, you need prayer partners, we're going to be up here. God bless you. We love you.